Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 12. So we'll begin our reading in verse 18. We'll read through the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. We turn to a quotation now from the Reverend William Bates, an English nonconformist. Listen to what Reverend Bates has to say. How excellent is the joy of the blessed when the prayer of Christ shall be accomplished, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. God is absolutely one in his glorious nature and will, and therefore unalterably happy. And their inviolable union in love is a ray of the essential unity between the sacred persons. There are no divisions of heart and tongues as in this babel, but the most perfect and sweetest concord an eternal agreement in tempers and inclinations. There are no envious comparisons for love that effectively transforms one into another, causes the glory of every saint to redound to the joy of all. 
Everyone takes his share in the felicity of all and adds to it. If in the church of the firstborn Christians, in the earthly Jerusalem, the band of charity was so strict that it is said that the multitude of believers were of one heart and one soul, how much more intimate and inseparable is the union of the saints in the Jerusalem above, where everyone loves another as himself. Mr. Bates helps us with some of the phraseology that we will look at here in a few moments. So we've been talking about profiting from public worship. How do we do that? How do we profit from it? Well, we started out our study by looking at simply some broad principles. What are some of the things we need to bring with us in order to profit from public worship? First clue, not a pillow. Um, what, we, what we want to bring with us, we learned, is some regulation, some order. We want to bring humility. We want to bring propriety, that we acknowledge that the, the worship is God's worship and not ours. We wanted to bring a proper memory, that is, we remember who it is that we approach. We said that we need readiness to hear. We finished with Micah 6, 6 through 8 in that first blush of those broad principles. And we said that we are not competent to invent or create worship ordinances. <clears throat> we spoke also about preparation. That is a life of preparation. Not a few moments or a couple of days of preparation before some grand event at church. But Sabbath by Sabbath preparation. That is we begin our preparation for next Sabbath not on Saturday night. Not on Sunday morning, but on Monday morning, after the last Sabbath. That the Bible speaks often of the preparation of the heart to seek the Lord on a daily cycle, not on a weekly cycle. And that the best preparation is that which is maintained throughout the week. And then we did talk also about that smaller, more incremental preparation where the people of God are said to sanctify themselves for some near event. And so both of those things are necessary. So then we talked about valuation. And we wanted to talk through some of that because I, I, I think that, that in many cases the public worship is undervalued. And undervaluing it is unhelpful, detrimental to our understanding. So the first week of that we looked at Galatians chapter 4 and we learned that we might think of the church as our mother. Tell me, would you undervalue your mother? <laughs> well, not and live to tell about it, right? <laughs> um, the Jerusalem, which is above, Paul will say in Galatians 4, is free, which is the mother of us all. We wouldn't undervalue our mother. We shouldn't undervalue the visible church as well. And so that's what we did first. Then last week, we began in Hebrews 12 with that, and we continued on in that valuation. And what we looked at in, in chapter 12 there from 18 <clears throat> through about, well, where is it? 18 through 22 is what we looked at last week. And we started out with the comparison between Sinai and Jerusalem, and we made a few of those necessary comparisons for the sake of understanding. And then we looked at the city itself and the epithets that are given to the visible and invisible church, that one 
Church of Christ and what were the things that we heard? Mount Zion, City of the Living God, Heavenly Jerusalem. Those three things. We looked at that last week. And we saw the, <clears throat> the great makeup of the city. Of course, we ended up in Psalm 48 where we're told to walk about Zion and tell her towers, know her, her towers, her bulwarks, her gates, her bars, all of that, right? That we may tell it also to the next generation. That we will have a proper understanding of what the true Jerusalem looks like so that we can tell our children and pass that on to them. That's how valuable. It's as valuable as you would consider your own inheritance, is what we said. And that's what Psalm 48 teaches us. And that's, what, that's where we finished last week. So this week we move on in Hebrews chapter 12 to the next set of things. And if we looked at the city last week itself, we look at the inhabitants this week. Okay, so last week we looked at the, inha- the, sorry, the city itself, Zion, heavenly Jerusalem, and so on. This week we take a look at the, the, the happy citizens of that church. Okay, so that's where we're going today. So the first thing that we see is an innumerable company of angels. An innumerable company of angels. This Zion has an innumerable company of angels. Well, we have to understand what the apostle is telling us here. The word angel in scripture, uh, the Greek angelos, the Hebrew malach, simply in its most basic meaning means messenger. Some of you will remember in our readings through the book of Revelation in chapters 2 and 3 that every one of those letters, those seven letters that are written to the seven churches begins with to the angel of the church in fill in the blank, right. Who is the angel of every one of those churches? Well, the angel would be what we would call the minister, the the pastor of the church. And in him then, as we said when we were there in, in that passage, we said that if it's written to him, it's written through him to all of the leadership of that church. That when the Lord uh, was upon earth and and, uh, gathered his 12 disciples to him, one of them went to his own place, Matthias was replaced, that they were that they became those men that were called the apostles. And the apostles are simply, that's just another name for, for those who were sent. The Lord Jesus Christ sent. Now, obviously, it's a different Greek word. Still, it's the same concept. The angels of the churches here, or the angels, this innumerable company of angels, in the opinion of this Bible uh, preacher, are... All of those who are sent by the Lord in support of this great city. And who are they? Well, I I believe that it does include what we would call those spiritual intelligences, the elect angels. We know the names of two of them, right? Anybody remember their names? The two that we know? Gabriel is one of them, right? And Michael is the other. Sometimes Michael and sometimes Gabriel, truly, is really an epithet for the true angel of the covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ, the real one who was sent, right? 
But in other times, I think that they, they also represent those spiritual intelligences that are not Christ, but are um, those who are, like it says at the end of Hebrews chapter 1, let's see what it says there, the last verse of Hebrews 1, the second to last verse says, but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits, notice, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs to salvation. Beloved, there are things going on in the unseen world that we don't know about. I don't think we need to worry about them. I don't think we want to you know, try to peel back the veil and see into the unseen world and see the spiritual battles that are going on, you know, angels and demons fighting with one Oh, my. Uh, no, I don't think we need to do that. We don't need to worry about that. The Lord takes care of that. And he's kept that hidden from us for his own purposes. Every now and then we get a little glimpse of that, right? Like when Daniel is praying in Daniel chapter 9, and he prays for a while, and finally Gabriel sent to him, and Gabriel says to him, you know, as soon as you start praying, I was sent. And I've just now gotten here. Well, that's all we know about that situation. Was there somebody that resisted you, Gabriel? Tell me about the battles along the way. No, we're not told any of that. But there are angels that are sent forth. They are ministering spirits, that is, Servant spirits sent by God in the service of us, those who are inheriting salvation. There is a sense in which, and I don't want to be too, uh, too full in this understanding, but there is a sense in which they are, our, they are our fellow creatures, our fellow servants of God. And we can join with them in that. There is an innumerable company of angels that are included in the city, Mount Zion. You'll remember that there were a couple of times in the book of Revelation, especially toward the end, where John was, that there were angels that were sent forth in his vision to show him things. A couple of times those angels, well, we think that was Christ. But there are other times where we're fairly certain it was not Christ. And so there's one instance, or sorry, two instances where John is so overwhelmed with what he saw that he falls down to worship the angel that showed him these things. That angel says, now you knock that off. You stop that. I'm your fellow servant. You worship God, not me. You and I, we must worship God. You don't worship me. I don't worship you. We both worship God. We're fellow servants. And so there is a sense in which we might understand that that in walking by faith and not by sight. We don't see these angels. Oh, you may talk to people that say they've seen them. Yeah, they will, um, you know, ask them if they're still on their meds, right? Um, you may talk to people that think they've seen them, but they are unseen. This is something that takes place uh, away from our view. Uh, but we can know that God is doing that, that he has sent forth angels, and that they do things in this world to protect and to serve the people of God. The scriptures make that clear. Okay. Is that all we mean here by an an innumerable company of angels? And this is where your pastor parts with some major commentators. I think no. I think that there are other angels that are included in this innumerable company of angels, that the word angel is being used not essentially in that spirit sense, but in that sent sense. And I'm going to cite what I did a few moments ago, and that is, 
that those angels that were sent as the ministers of the churches in the seven churches of the book of Revelation. That this innumerable company of angels includes all kinds of people, all kinds of intelligences, spiritual intelligences, and earthly folk as well that are sent to the people of God for their good. That having a ministry among us is a, a blessing that is beyond imagining. Having someone that is authorized by God to stand as an ambassador of heaven who is sent from the, from the heavenly kingdom to the earthly kingdom as an ambassador of the heavenly kingdom telling people, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, be ye reconciled to God as a minister of reconciliation, as an ambassador of reconciliation is a great blessing. You'll remember that it is the practice of kings of nations, when they are about to go on the warpath against a nation, the first thing that they do is withdraw their ambassador. Right? They pull their ambassador out. They empty out their mission in that country. Why? Because those are their people and they don't want them to get caught in the crossfire. But the Lord has not withdrawn his ambassage in this sad old world, has he? He is not. He continues to raise up generation upon generation of angels, messengers that come with the message of heaven to the people of God. Telling them what? Be reconciled to God. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for a moment. <clears throat> Verse 17, therefore, if any man <clears throat> be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. We'll stop right there for a moment. A lot of folks read the word us there as all of us as the people of God. That's not what Paul's about to say. Listen very carefully. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you, Corinthian church, by us. We pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Violate the chapter break with me. We then as workers together with him beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Well, it's obvious what Paul is doing there. He is that angel, that messenger, that ambassador. And he is preaching the gospel to the Corinthian church because he, like we have already confessed today in the reading of our confession, we have said that the purest churches under heaven are inhabited by believers and unbelievers. They are more or less 
pure. So, <clears throat> these angels then that we're talking about, they're not only the spirit beings that are sent in service of the people of God, but they are also the ministry of the gospel, the ministers of the word, who are also sent as servants of Christ to the people of God to bear gospel tidings to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, notice what the Apostle Paul will say there. You know, the Corinthians had developed themselves into some pretty divisive ways. They were dividing over their teachers. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. Huh, you guys are all washed up. I am of Christ. Right? They had that kind of division among them. And so verse 6, the, the Apostle will say, I have planted Apollos watered but God gave the increase, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, that, now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. The, the apostle says it this way, as a minister of the word, I am the builder, and as the church, you are the building. So there is a difference there and in our days of wanting to reduce everything to its lowest common denominator. The lowest common denominator is that there is still the need for a ministry. That's God's ambassador. That's his angel, his sent one, his messenger to the church. So <clears throat> there are uh, wonderful things to be said about, the, about these inhabitants of Zion, these angels, if you will. Let's look at several passages that, uh, that the apostle is alluding to. First of all, in Deuteronomy chapter 33. And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai, and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran. And he came with ten thousands of saints. Chassidim, holy ones. From his right hand went a fiery law for them. Notice here that the, that the saints, the holy ones, they are indeed the people of God. They're the ones that God has called out of the world to himself. And he issued a fiery law. For them. In Psalm 68, verse 17, <clears throat> you'll remember this passage is quoted in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 17 reads, The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, the holy place. What do we learn from passages like this? Beloved, what we learn mostly is that no matter how small the church seems on earth, she is a place of myriads upon myriads of inhabitants. Right? That we haven't come to a paltry city. We haven't come to a place of disrespect or poverty or, you know, a little backwater village. This is Zion, and she's inhabited with thousands and thousands and thousands of holy ones 
the messengers, angels. The Lord has provided a great city for his people. In Daniel chapter 7, Another vision of Daniel's. Verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him. Thousands of Thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Well, this is Daniel's vision of the end of days, when the Son of Man will come and present the kingdom unto his Father. But notice who the attendants are. Thousands upon thousands Upon thousands, the host of the Lord, men and spirits. This is the place here, Zion, where those who gather unto the Lord meet. And there is a mystical union among all of our innumerable brethren. Isn't that amazing? That we are, in, in some sense, perhaps even unseen to us, yet received by faith, we are connected. Not only to the saints who have gone before and to the saints who will come after, but to the innumerable company of those spiritual servants of ours sent by Christ and to all godly angels, preachers of the word who would let the word out to the people of God, who would open up the family larder and hold out those precious things for the people of God to have. And notice where they are. They're here. They're in Zion. You won't find them out there. That's not where they are. You've come to Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, where the innumerable company is. The other thing that this teaches us is that while we may not value the visible church as we ought to, that its success is inevitable. It will compass all of God's elect. And that elect will be, as John will tell us in the book of Revelation, in that first vision of the seals, a number that no man can number from every kindred, tribe, and tongue. And beloved, we are connected through them, to them through this place. This is, if you will, the portal by which we are connected to all who would believe in Christ and all those elect angels who would serve him. Nowhere else will you find that connection. The innumerable company of angels. The ministers of the word who proclaim this message to the world, they are called angels. Matthew chapter 24. Now let's stop at Matthew 13 on the way. Matthew 13, 39 says this. 
The enemy that sowed these tares, that is, uh, is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Now, there are some commentators that would point to verse 39, and they would say that those are those spirit beings, those angels. Well, I don't think so. I think that the reapers are the ones whom the Lord has sent out to reap, that is, to gather in those souls. They are the true reapers, the ones who preach the word of the Lord. And I think Matthew 24 validates that interpretation. As we look at verse 31, go back to verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, and the tribulation of those days, what Christ is speaking about there is the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. Now let me just stop for a moment and explain that. That sounds like end times language, and you go to any end times conference, I think there's one going on uh, at First Baptist Church downtown Dallas right now, um, it, it, you, you will hear that this is the end of the ages, right? That this is what we look for, that the stars will fall from heaven, the moon shall not give her light. This is simply prophetic language that we see over and again throughout the Old Testament that teach us that we're coming to the end of an era or the end of an age. What was the end of the age in that day? It was the end of Jerusalem and Judea, the church of the Jews being identified as the people of God. They're no longer the people of God. Their tenure comes to an end. As we said earlier today in Matthew 21, Jesus says the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given, it, and given to a nation that will bring forth its fruits. So this, quote, end times language, the sun will fall from the sky, the moon shall not give her light, the stars, and so on. All of that simply means that Jerusalem's time is coming to an end. That's what Christ has been talking about all throughout here. Now verse 30. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. You see, what we end up reading that as is that the Son of Man will appear in heaven. That's not what it says. The sign of the Son of Man in heaven shall appear. What is the sign of the Son of Man being in heaven? That he's taken his seat in the heavenly sanctuary at his Father's right hand, and so there is no longer need for for an earthly temple. Because he has entered into his rest at his father's right hand. And so, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven is that Jerusalem will be destroyed and the temple will be brought down. And then shall all of the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Not they shall see the Son of Man as he accompanies the clouds, but that they will see his judgment coming. Remember, in the ancient Near East, when the watchman watched on the wall and he saw the, fo- the, the, the enemy army coming across the sands, what would he see? Dust. Dust being kicked up. Looks like smoke, right? So the clouds are often spoken of as the dust of God's feet when he comes in judgment. That's what's being spoken of here. He comes in judgment against Jerusalem. And so, they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels 
with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. That is, that when Christ takes his seat in heaven, and when Jerusalem is destroyed, the gospel is no longer confined to Palestine. But he will send his angels to the four corners of the world, and they will gather his elect through the preaching of the gospel until he returns again. That's what's being spoken. And these are the angels, the ministers, that carry those good tidings. So turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, that bring glad tidings of good things. These are the angels, the sent ones, the messengers that are sent throughout the world to gather the elect until the time of Christ's coming. And so we would look at Revelation chapters 2 and 3. We would see that those angels were those ministers of the word. So remember then the safety and protection that these messengers of the Lord bring. We remember, don't we, when we hear of those angels, those spirit angels, what do we think of? We think of them in some unseen way, helping us, ministering to us, uh, keeping us safe, if you will, keeping at bay the forces of darkness. We think of those things, and probably rightly so. But isn't that what the ministers do for us as well? Don't they have that same kind of ministry among us? As they teach us the good word of God, as they clear our minds of error, as as they point us to Christ, as they urge us as we read earlier in 2 Corinthians 5 and 6 to be reconciled to God that now is the day of salvation that they turn us away from complacency that they turn us away from sloth that they turn us away from that from the sleep of death if you will and they shake us into our spiritual awakening and that they are those who press Christ and his and, and that urgently to us and in that way, they are the, those ministering ones who strengthen our hands. In um, John Owen says this, They continually watch against Satan and the world to keep all the, concern, or the concerns of the church within the bounds and limits of the divine will and pleasure. They have a charge over all their fellow servants in the blessed family to take care of them in all their ways. Let us not fear the ruin of the church while there is an innumerable company of angels belonging to it. And beloved, don't we know that outside the church this protection does not exist? It's here. It remains here. It is here by God's design. Now you're going to tell me, well, God's, God's sovereign over every piece of ground, every, every square inch, every square centimeter. And it's true that he is. And it's true that he often works outside of bounds and in extraordinary ways to bring in his people from afar. That he will search after the one sheep 
of the 99 that has gone astray, that he will find an Ethiopian eunuch in Gaza by the preaching of Philip. But he did send a minister there, remember. But this is a city. And, and the city has an innumerable company of angels. And some of those angels are given as watchmen on the wall. And this is where the special watch care of God takes place over his people. This is why Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, is so important because she has a level of protection that isn't found anywhere else, beloved. We'll remember Ezekiel chapter 3, right? Ezekiel's a, I don't know, it's, it's a book that I began to study early on in my in my uh, pastoral career, and the more I study Ezekiel, I, I think the more I love it. Just a great, great book. Uh, Ezekiel, sometimes, uh, you know, we look at him and we think, man, that poor guy, you know. There was one point at which, okay, lay on your side for 360 days. Now turn over and lay on the other side for 360 days, right? Yeah, um, take, some, take some hair out of your own head and cut it off and then put it on a little tile and chop it up with a knife and then scatter it. And then chop it up with a knife and just let it blow away. And then take some and put a little bit in your belt loop and just keep it right there. You know? And when the people of God ask you what you're doing, don't answer them. <laughs> what a ministry, right? Uh, there, uh, in the uh, vision of chapter 8, he says, In my vision, the Lord lifted me up by a lock of my hair. How'd you like that? Right? Okay, well, in this chapter, in chapter 3, we're going to hear about Ezekiel as a watchman. And so we'll turn to uh, chapter 3, verse 17. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet, if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. And now we can turn over to uh, chapter 33 for a moment. Ezekiel 33. And in chapter 33, we turn to, well, we'll start in verse 2. Son of man, speak unto the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman, when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people. Then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet, and taketh not warning if the sword come, <clears throat> and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, 
I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. And then he's going to go on and speak to the children of Israel of his day. We move to the New Testament. We see this same principle taken up by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. Verse 22, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Then he will counsel the Ephesian elders to do exactly the same. To tell their people the same thing that they've heard from him. And what did they hear from him? They heard from him the speaking of a competent watchman who is free from the blood of all men because he's declared unto them the whole counsel of God. He is that true angel, that messenger, that brought the message in its fullness, in its alacrity, in its clarity, so that the wicked would be warned. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, it says this, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. The angels that God sends to the church with the, as those messengers of his grace, mercy, peace, sin, righteousness and judgment they must preach the whole counsel of God and they must be heard and beloved that's not going on anywhere but here in this city in the innumerable company of angels the next passage that we look at in 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 this regard is from the apostle Peter some would say that Peter was the first pope right well Peter didn't think of himself obviously as the first pope, actually he thought of himself as a fellow elder. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1. The elders which are among you, I exhort, <clears throat> who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight, may I say, watch care, watchfulness thereof. Not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being 
and samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. May I say that all the same elements are there. Watchfulness, speaking the message fully, and the judgment of the Lord upon them. So, these things are uh, pretty clear, I think. And yet they are, oh, shall we say, misunderstood, misconstrued at times. So we're going to have to stop with this first set of inhabitants, the innumerable company of angels. Those angels are God's gift, the gifts of Christ to his church. You'll remember Ephesians 4, that he led captivity captive, ascended up on high, and gave gifts to men. And the gifts that he gave were the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And it was indeed for the gathering of the saints, the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edification of the body of Christ. Beloved, those gifts are given to us as the church. You know, I have my pastors that I have had all my life. I'm a pastor to some, and I, and I have pastors myself that I have learned from, that have taught me the things of God, that have watched for my soul. Today I have elders that are here and a presbytery that watch for my soul. Remember that these ministers in proper uh, church government are not uh, laws unto themselves. In proper church government, everyone is answerable to someone. We all have a, a duty uh, in that to either be watched over or to watch. So then, the innumerable company of angels, beloved, is given for your great benefit. And if we might close with just a couple of those benefits. Number one, you hear the very word of God being expounded and preached. Um, this, Moses writes to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 4, This shall be your wisdom in, your, in the sight of the nations. When you learn and keep and do all these things that the Lord has taught you. I've taught you these things, but as Moses will say to those Israelites, but you will take them and you will make use of them in this world and before the watching nations around you and they will look at you and they will say, what a wise and understanding people. This is for your salvation, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5 and 6. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of reconciliation. If any are yet in their sins. As an ambassador of Jesus Christ, we ministers, we say to you what? Be reconciled to God. You will find Christ a willing Savior. He turns away none that come to him. How should you live in this world? How, wherewithal shall a young man order his way? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. What is it the minister's job to do but take the word of God and expand it and expose it and open it up to the people of God for your lives, for your comfort, for your instruction, for your correction, sometimes to your shame. And all of these things are the love strokes of your heavenly Father upon you. And the thing 
that all of these things have in common, and the, the denominator that underlies them all is that God has given them in Jerusalem. This is the place where that watchman resides. And his eyes are focused upon the protection that he owes the people of God. He's not owed, or sorry, his affections are not toward the rest. This innumerable company of angels, beloved, they're not watching over the reprobate. They're watching over you and me. The ministry of the gospel, it is made for the protection and edification and gathering and perfecting of God's people in every age. And it's nowhere else but here. I hope that helps you raise up your evaluation of Jerusalem, the visible church, and the ministry of the word. Let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the great gifts that Thou hast given to Thy church, a ministry, innumerable spiritual angels, that Thou hast granted us faith to receive this understanding and rest and have comfort in the protection that Thou hast provided for us. We thank Thee that we do not live in a howling wilderness, but that Thou hast drawn us into this city with towers and gates and bulwarks, that Thou hast granted us the, the bulwark of sound doctrine, the, the towers of watchfulness and discipline, that Thou hast granted us that spiritual food that nourishes to eternal life, that Thou hast granted that personal word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our King in this city, and His messengers of His word to us, that we might be saved and kept. O oh Lord, help us not to undervalue these gifts or to be nonplussed or ho-hum concerning them. But to leave this place today thankful. Not that this is the only place where these things exist, but everywhere where thy name is proclaimed in truth, thou hast indeed that, that city, that Jerusalem there. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.